0: Pressing play and taking the consequence of, you know, who knows what will happen. I, th- I think that, that that reflects itself in a certain authenticity. Just pressing play, pressing play.
1: Dennis, how's it going?
2: Pretty good, how
1: are you doing? I'm doing well, man, thank you. Of course. You record music under the name 18 Karat Affair. Yeah. yeah. And Affair, is that just you?
0: It's, yeah, it's just me and uh, my machines. Yes. Yeah, you got it.
1: The machines. I love it, yeah. I feel like that's important to cover, you know, because I often hear people refer to solo acts as them or they. And, sure. You know, when you from you all the way up to, like, Kevin Parker of Tame Impala, like, when you hear someone, you get that they're doing all the instruments, all the recording, engineering, mixing by themselves. It's, it's really impressive, so.
0: It's not a band, but, yeah, it's, it's fun to see uh, it's fun to see people hear the music and, and, and say like, has anyone heard this band, Eighteen Carat Affair? Yeah. Like, or the music they make.
1: Yeah. You know? Have you passed on working with labels up to this point? I'm I sure. did
0: some work with um, an imprint label called Mood Gadget. Okay. So I, when I made um, Vintage Romance, um, I gave them that that release, and I was I was pretty unknown. You know, I was just, you know. I wish I had a time machine, you know, because this was in like 2011. So um, I had so much ideas and so much time to spare, and I was able to just, you know, I was able to just with my recording style just create, you know, two or three albums throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, and so I gave them that, and um, kind of understood that, you know, when you when you work with a label, it's, you know, they their job is to advertise you as a product. So you, you give an album to a label and more people will be aware of it. Um, but it it seems like, you know what I mean? You have to, you have to look up and you have to communicate and get approval through the label uh, with ideas or merchandise or things like that. So, um, yeah, I did one, one thing with the label. Um, and aside from that, everything's been self-released.
1: No, that's yeah, that's amazing. It, it's so it's it's really important for you to maintain artistic control. Obviously, like as it should be, it, it's more important to you the the art of it than you know how how well it's promoted. Like that's obviously less important to you.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I think, um, and it's, it's again, it's just the means of how I record. It's the means of um, you know, I, I never want to take something that that's that's a personal. You know, mysterious process, and um, and kind of turn it into a commodity, and and you know, fl- fall into the the, um, the the marketing forms of, you know, what's the single going to be, um, you know, yeah. it, it just it, you know, they' compared to how I work, which is kind of rooted in bad habits. Um, mm-hmm you know, it was just something new to kind of think it kind of repatterned how I was thinking when I was making the music, because I had to think of the end user, mm-hmm.
2: you know, I,
0: I had to think of like, um, Oh, like, is this going to be marketable or is this? <laughs> you know, are they, are they going to, are they going to accept my one minute and 10 second songs? Yeah.
1: So when you <laughs> talked about, you know, kind of the process you get into, like what's the single and that sort of thing. And you talked about how many albums you've, you could make a year, like, yeah. And, you know, from like 2009 to 2014, maybe you were dropping, up to three albums a year in some of those years when you are making songs, do you always have an album in mind or are you just like when you make songs, do you make them with album in mind or are you just always recording? And then, you know, the album comes together just kind of naturally after that.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like a, um, it's like a process of shaking something up and a bunch of the ideas kind of float around and settle eventually. (laughs) Um, a lot of the music is, Again, I, I mentioned recording out of habit, um, so a lot of the music, every song I've done is, is improvised on the spot, um, so it's it's tricky when, you know, you to fill up a cassette with um, one-off recordings, um, you know, and vocal takes, like, there's so many songs where it's like, wow, this is great, but I completely, like, destroyed the vocal delivery on something, and so... <laughs> You know, so it's like, it's like filling up cassettes with songs, and um, yeah, there's uh, there's this interesting almost like hidden energy with creating things where, where you, you approach something with your instruments with an idea, you know, like like here's the chords I'm going to use, you know, or here's, you know, how the song, how it's going to sound, and there's like this weird hidden element where you know, by the time you're done with that song, or it's, it's, it's coupled with the album art and released as an album that, you know, there's almost this invisible uh, hand at play that kind of influences and grabs and and recontextualizes um, the ideas you had recording, you know,
1: the way you rely on tape processing a lot kind of reminds me of DJ Screw, maybe kind of how he came up with the way he would process the screwed up sound. Are you familiar with DJ Screw?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always love to read. Um, you know, if, if you're in front of a computer or your phone at the moment, you know, if you if you go to, uh, if you just look into DJ Screw's discography, mm-hmm. you know, or you look into like DJ Screw, like uh, Mursbo, you know, they just have these these unfathomable, um, you know. 500 cassette releases um, you know yeah and it's all done and I think that's well that's part of that magic that sh- you, sh- you shake hands with when you work with cassette machines or four track recorders or you know I work with VHS players um, mm. but you know when you when you have tape anytime you press record you know it's it's kind of like a mixtape element it's, it's
2: an element of I want to capture this you mm-hmm.
0: know Um and so, yeah, absolutely. DJ screw. you know, I believe he used uh, task cam machines. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, another thing you get with tape is is you get the magic pitch control knob. <laughs> and so you know it's pretty it's pretty you can instantly hear, you know like his his train of thought when you when you put in a cassette and then you drop the speed, you know from from a high uh, revolution to a low one, and you instantly get. <laughs> you know, almost the, the syrupy, slowed yes. um, down sound. Yeah. And, you know, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of people. You know, it's almost like a synapse of brain activity. There's a lot of people that worked with tape and, and had really innovative uses of, I can record a sound and manipulate it, But yeah, DJ Screw, when it comes to um, kind of the modern, like music that incorporates slowed down elements, you know, I think DJ Screw and and all those guys over in Memphis in the 90s, um, you know, they they kind of, you know, they kind of cemented that technique. And it's, it's interesting to see how it evolves over years
1: yeah and then it's still so strong and well and so that's that's great because that leads us into vaporwave like you talk about you know we can look at so many things that came before vaporwave what led to it um and you know just for those listening like obviously people who know and love vaporwave they uh, you're a pivotal foundational character so um you're definitely associated with that genre, but the, the deeper I go into your catalog, the more I realize that you're, there's so much outside of Vaporwave that you do. Um, in my opinion, like, I think I had put down some of these songs here. Like, High Emotion is great synth pop, Reflection of Heaven is, is lovely synth pop. synth pop foundation application is like a disco song um and these are great yeah. songs do you remember the first time you like heard a vaporwave song
0: again like 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 i mentioned with like the brain synapses there's so many yeah. there's so many pockets you know what i mean it's like a, like i look at a guy like john um uh, john oswald who um you know, he kind of would, he would just take cassette tapes and he would just decimate them into, um, you know, he would, he would put things together so quickly. Um, if you just look at his music, like I look at John Oswald as the, um, as kind of the proto, like, Hey, I'm just going to take all these sounds and sprinkle them and see what happens. to me, you know, I, you know, associating kind of early 2010, end of 2009, um, you know, I was in different friend circles, and, you know, there's a lot of, um, I don't know if anyone recognizes the site Turntable FM, Yeah. uh, yeah, Um, so Turntable, you know, a lot of people would just get in a room, you know, it would just be... They just get in a room and it would just be like people playing their, oh yeah, almost like DJ Screw, you know, almost like just slowed down, um, kind of fantastical versions of of songs they did or songs they like. <laughs> and that branched off um, into a, cl- a group of people called SPF 420, um, and that was you know helmed by uh, Liz and Chaz. I think they still do things occasionally, but to me, that was, that was kind of the seed that in my eyes was planted with vaporwave because out of that community, you know, um, you, we had like remote or we had like Mac plus come out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you had so many artists who were, you know, just, just, uh, you know, kind of as a scene that celebrates itself, um, you know, slowing things down and making these warped, um you know, remixes of like of Genesis game, you know, Saturn <laughs> soundtracks and and all this stuff. And uh you know, and there's just a bunch of parallel happenings with that. And so there's that group and then I think twenty eleven is when uh you know like like Dan Lopin and, and mm. with his Chuck Carson stuff, um, you know, he put out A D D complete. Um you know, a lot of people look at Echo Jams and they're like, oh, like Echo Jams is the definitive, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the big catalysts for the genre. Mm-hmm. You know, that and like, like James Ferraro's Farsight Virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chuck Person's ADD Complete is is one of those beautiful, um, I think, ideas in that he, he just released, you know, kind of these looping records. So, you know, it would be a 45 record and you would put the needle down and wherever you landed it would be a locked groove so Hmm. you know it would be a a, you know it would be a a 12 second sample and it would just you know it would just groove and endlessly continue (laughs) and so i think you know between between spf between um yeah and you know i think macintosh plus is probably the most commercial example of 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 what vaporwave became and is Mm -hmm. um but between her and dan Lopedin and james ferraro and just a handful of people i think uh kind of just created a zeitgeist of sound you know you know vaporwave to me um it's kind of a blend of, of like punk punk music, but you know, its its main source seems to be uh, re, like recontextualization. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can take, a, yeah, you can take a, like a like a f- bunch of ideas. So if we think of like Echo Jams, you know, you have Echo the Dolphin on the cover. You know, you so you're pulling from so many culture points and then you know so you put a record in like, like, like let's say you go buy one it's like what's this album with echo the dolphin on it and you put it in and it's a bunch of you know slowed down heart and kate bush and you know what i mean i, I think that's the that's the power or that's the allure of vaporwave is that it's 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 a bunch of people personally recontextualizing um all kinds of of points in culture or in music or in film or you know just like a tiny little snippet that someone finds inspiration from and and there's kind of this endless puzzle of you know what is this person trying to convey with this yeah Um, but i also think there's this element now in 2020 where people they, you know, they look at it as a formula, and so yeah. it's always funny to hear uh, modern, you know, vaporwave songs that are, are like the sixth iteration of, of a sample that's been slowed down. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, so you know, it's becoming more fashionable. You know, what what started as a, a kind of a small designer, you know, Gucci handbag is now a big uh, Samsonite, you know, suitcase to travel with.
1: <laughs> Samsonite, love it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And you talk about James Ferraro and then I think, you know, you can kind of tie in like hypnagogic pop there yeah. and chill wave, you know, your first album spent passions is, is a lot different than the rest of your releases. I would say, um, do you like, what's your take on hypnagogic pop? How would you, is that related to vaporwave? Like what, what is does that genre to you?
0: Absolutely to me. And this, these are all my opinions, you know, I'm, I'm no source. Um, but in my opinion, I, I think everything you know, everything goes back to the, the lords of minimalism. Like everything goes back to you know, the uh, like the hyper realistic ideas of like Lamont Young and Terry Riley and uh, you know Brian Eno. You know, hmm. finding a means to, to to create a form of repetition and then in that, you know, kind of calculate and bury and hide a bunch of You know intellectual thought or or hide a bunch of um you know what i mean trying to transpose a mindset so to speak so when i I hear you know lamont young has always played a big part of influence and it's you know i learned it in school and you know to me when i first heard it i was like why what is this about like like this guy just fell asleep on the keyboard (laughs) um but then when you start to you know look into him and what he was doing and and you know he'll have these these forty page reports on why these two frequencies you know droning for um, three hours are very important. Wow. Um, and I think that with hypnagogic pop, it you know it's kind of the modern evolution of of you know taking uh, you know taking an idea you know almost like how, how new age music exists you know in new age music from like the late seventies or like Yassos, um you know, Constance Demby, like, like these people would, would try to transpose an emotion and they would create a, like a tapestry of ambience. And so when I hear um, groups like the skaters or James Ferraro or, or kind of the early, like, you know, we put out 80 cassettes of ambient ideal ideologies, you know, um, I think that's kind of what hypnagogic pop is, 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 it's, it's just transposing emotion through, uh, or attempting to transpose an emotion through, you know, a sound or a, a recording.
1: So your last album was 2019 and that was, it's spent passions too. What's, what is that like a redemption album? Like what, why, why name it the same? And, um, and number you know,
0: two, it's kind, of like, kind of like a capsule enclosure, you know? Um, because the first thing I did was spend passions, mm-hmm. you know, and I always thought that was that was a fitting title, you know, because it's like, uh, it's just a perfectly encapsulated term, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I did the first Spend passions, and I, you know, I, I I was able to tear through things in 2011 when I got out of high school. I had all the time in the world to figure things out, and I was just burning through the night, you know, just just mm-hmm. recording things, and and. And sorting through things you know and maybe eventually one of these days i'll i'll just i'll i'll create a box set of of the tape cassette recordings because a lot of those albums you know with a lot of the albums i put out it like it takes 100 recordings to end up with 20 decent songs um because again when you improvise you screw things up you know your your lyric drops or you know the worst feeling is is is, is pressing record and, and thinking everything's going right, and then when you pull it back, you know you ended up recording over something on your cassette, or you ended up, uh, you know, kind of a trial and error in very dramatic fashion. Yeah. But spent passions too, um, I just I viewed as kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a nice. Um, you know, kind of happened of like here. You know, I started with Spent Passions, and you know the sound evolved. You know, all over this time, and so here we are. You know, um, you know, a decade later or not a decade, but here we are, a handful of years later, and uh, you know, here's Spent Passions too. I like that. You know, here's the, the re, here's the reinvention of. Uh, you know, like I always loved the albums like Scott Walker, like Scott. You know how he had like Scott. And then Scott two and Scott three, and then he just ended it with Scott four. You know what I mean? It's like, I think that there's a, there's a beauty in having, um, you know, just kind of a uh, a transmission of like, here I am again for the second time. Yeah, know?
1: yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, do you do you have a favorite? Can you do you have a favorite eighteen Karat affair song?
0: Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's always the last one you make, right? But there's various really the songs you know people have loved um, you know like Bobby Fisher connects the, the songs where I feel like I had a concise delivery mm-hmm. um, a good a like, full concept that was fully understood and recorded well um, you know what I mean yeah those songs mean a lot to me um, it takes two it takes two honey I'm just kind of going over some now oh yeah the, the gymnast um, you know pretending that it's not. You know, just, just um you know, each song kinda of is a kind of like a time machine to an idea I had and, and the setting and environment and uh, um, so every every one's a little bit special, you know, it just yeah. depends on where you're at and how you're hearing it.
1: That's so that's so fun. Yeah. We'll see I, I'm glad you brought up Bobby Fisher Kinetics because that's that is one of my that's probably my favorite, and I feel like it's your highest BPM song. Like it's pretty fast. Do you keep BPMs in mind when you're recording? Like do you do?
0: No, you- oh, everything's on tapes. So BPM and in, in the idea of um, tape speed, you know, mm-hmm. as a, almost like a translation, they take a lot of influence from like R and B tracks from like. 1988 is a magical year for R&B. Hmm. Like there's so many albums, you know, private and public, and um, and techniques. Like I feel like the technique of the drum machine was really mastered by certain engineers and producers. Kind of 1985, 1992, you know. So yeah. everything always starts with a drum machine. Everything. You know, the programming. Um, and I've always loved the Lindt drum because it just punches. It just like. It has this weird aura. It's a a brilliantly designed machine that, um, you know, like when you you press a hi-hat on that machine, it runs off chips that are constantly calculating. So every time a hi-hat triggers, it's never the same static sound. It always shifts a bit. The attack is off. The pitch is off. The panning is off. Um, You know, so I've always loved instruments that kind of add a, a hidden texture like that yeah um so starting with a drum, yeah there's always a bpm but by the time there's this you know by the time everything is just recorded and on a cassette and revisited um it's normally you know the pitch speed knob is at three o'clock let's say you know yeah and that's how i calculate the bpm
1: do, do you sample at all for your songs
0: so I, I have a, um, let's see, I had an SP, an SP 404 sampler, um, for a lot of those 2011 albums. Um, but I, but interestingly, a lot of the, the sounds that people think are sampled are, are kind of interpolated, yeah. you know, so I'd hear something and I'd kind of have this fear of if I just take this and put it out there, you know, like, you know, tisk tisk, right? Mm-hmm. So I would um, I would learn the chord being played, or I would learn the key, etc., and I would embellish the elements of it. So I did use an SP four hundred four to to sample, and I took a lot of influence from you know, and kind of back to Vaporwave, you know, like Panda Bear's Person Pitch album. Hmm. Um, I think is a is a unique thing that gets flown over a lot because he was. He was using, you know, like, S, like early SP samplers and the stuff he was sampling was not common like this. It wasn't like, you know, the beat stuff you'd hear in 90s hip hop. It was, you know, he was, yeah, he was taking like the hook section of like a Scott Walker string arrangement and looping that, <laughs> you know, forever and then creating, you know, almost like Brian Wilson harmonies hmm. over the textures and so, when, when people are talking about Vaporwave, like a, you know, a trip person, uh, I think Panda Bear, I think Person Pitch has a unique handshake with everything because the idea of taking unique samples from old music and just looping them to infinity and creating a tapestry out of it. Um, so, yeah, yeah those that. 2011 albums use samples, but a lot of the stuff today is, is kind of remnants you hear on, on tapes you know, so I'll go to Goodwill, I'll stock up on a bunch of cassette tapes, I'll buy a bunch of used VHS tapes, and through the process of that, you kind of, it's almost like an archaeology, where you, you find a sound, you find a texture, you find a rhythm on something, and it either appears in a song, you know, or it, it appears kind of in a transition, um, but yeah, I, I use cool. samples, but I'm just not, I'm aware of the legal environments of it, yeah. and you know, I try to um, I try to replicate, or I try to interpolate, or I try to um, I try to add something more than just looping something, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes cool. it's so seamless that people, you know, I'll play the instruments on an entire song, and someone will be like, "What's that sample?" You know. <laughs> but, oh, you know, so that's cool. It, it, there's a beauty about blowing the lines between, you know, like what's a sampled element, you know, what's an interpolation um, and, you know, and what's all the machines that are just, you know, being recorded in the same techniques of an era that makes it sound like it's from that time period, you know?
1: Yeah, no, that is that's interesting. So, well, I mean, did you, did you always want to make, like, sounds like you started the piano pretty young, but I think of, you know, I'm sure film plays a big part in your, you know, your process, like inspire inspiring your creative process and whatnot. Yes. Um, did you have any other aspirations to do film or anything like that?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think there's uh, always, you know, I've always loved uh, cinema and friends. Friends I've had, we would share, you know, we would share videos, and you know, some people would love, and I would hate. I would love, they would hate. <laughs> You know there's there's definitely a, a linguistic um you know there's a unique handshake with film and sound you know sound and film and I take a lot of influence from uh you know how those things can kind of create memory chambers like when you mm-hmm. think of uh when you think of sesame street when you think of 70s television when you think of 70s programming and how you know, whether it's the bumper, it's it's the look quick logo and the twenty second jingle that's been eaten by a tape ten times. Um, those things just really draw something like an influence, you know. Um, I, I, I guess you could think of group a group like if uh, you think of like Boards of Canada, yeah. right? Or yeah. Warp. You know, I think that they have have kind of explored and tapped into what I'm talking about with with kind of that unique Mystery and haze around, uh, you know, informational, you know, building block. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. like, if, it's like if you use if you use a Moog synthesizer in 1975 and play a quick lead for a children's graphic, the way time <laughs> treats that um, <laughs> kind of creates an interesting haze. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of, of influence from from. Uh, film, you know, more so commercial, more so more so television dramatization. Okay. Um, documentaries from the 70s, um, children's shows. You know, things that kind of have a warm nostalgia to them, but, you know, you can't put a finger on it.
1: It's, it's so interesting you say that time adds a haze to some of those things <laughs> yeah. because I've always found it fascinating the way, like, 50s love songs can be have have been used for horror since i don't know how long but i just you could see you know you're you're hearing like the paris sisters i love how you love me and it's really a sweet song but it's over someone getting like murdered or something and it just it adds such a strange effect you would never think that type of song would add something to that element but it it's almost like you tap into the obsession of the love they're talking about, like the really obsessive side that could go awry, like where something to happen, you know? So it's, I just think, yeah. I love how you said that time adds a haze to some of that stuff. It
0: does, you know, and, and what you just mentioned, you know, I think that's, that's a unique technique with an art or, or, or vaporwave, as people say, I think recontextualization um, can repackage culture and jingles. It can repackage so much. Like I think of, you think of like David Lynch's uh, like Blue Velvet, right? Mm-hmm. Like that whole film is, is littered with recontextualization. You know, it's like you take, yeah, you take a song like Blue Velvet yeah. you know, by Bobby uh, Vinton and you know, you, you have it shake hands with, with violence, and and, violence and tragedy. Yeah. You know, you, you, have it, you have it kind of present itself in a different light by what other things are going on. Um, yeah, you know, or, or, or kind of the early, like the early Scorsese, or the or the early, you know, Harvey Keitel, you know, kind of New York, like I owe money to these people. What are we gonna do about it? Films, <laughs> like they they do a lot of that where they'll they'll take they'll take a fifties track, um, you know, and you know it leads to like a shooting in a bar, you know, it's like amazing. a mafia hit, and it's just this this song that at one point was. You know, presented to people in suits and on a live TV audience with everyone, you know, you know, just kind of popped out. You know, yeah. it's it's just it's kind of a time warp to see that stuff happen <laughs> nice. and how it, it gets recontextualized. You know,
1: that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, so speaking of recontextualization, I think, you know, I I heard Bobby Fisher kinetics through a surf edit. Um, it was put to surfing. You've done a mix for bronze 56 K. Um, was it like, are you into s- to skateboarding or, or even surfing?
0: Yeah. There's kind of this weird, uh, there's this weird interplay with all that. So yeah, I mean, I, I was into s- skateboarding. I didn't have the ability so much from the Midwest to, to, you know, surf. So to speak, Right. right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you know, I, I was into this, the skate culture that was kind of the, you know, the baggy pants, like when Muska was king, yeah. it was like Muska, Reynolds, you know, it, like, it, if you look at like, you know, what, what is that, um, like Tony Hawk's sk- Pro Skate. Oh
2: yeah, killer like soundtracks.
0: Dudes, you know, the 411 VMs, um, yeah. yeah, skateboarding was was a kind of integral part of life, uh, going through like middle school and high school. And, well Eventually, I stopped because, you know, I, I kind of quickly caught up with the ramifications of, of, of ankle injuries
1: and <laughs> Yeah, your body like, caught you up to
0: know. you. Yeah, once you start paying your own medical bills, I, <laughs> I think you start realizing, like, yeah, there's a risk and reward to this. Like, I'll always watch skate videos and love it, but, you know, I'm not throwing myself down handrails anymore. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's very interesting and one thing i i do is um as i let people i let people recontact like take things and do what they want if somebody wants to make a music video with my song you know i never create this this environment of like well you know what's in it for me you know
2: yeah Yeah. (laughs) Like,
0: like well let's talk about it um and i think that's that's one element as to how how people are able to find me and how much I appreciate them finding the music is because people will take time out of their own volition to add my music to a video of theirs or they will make, they will customly make a music video, you know, and and there's, you know what I mean? And it's just this really interesting thing I appreciate that has kind of led to a, a certain marketing arm where... You know, people have wondered. You know, what is that? What's this about? Yeah. Um, and bronze, I've had a uh, a kind of close relationship with for a handful of years. Okay. Um, you know, so it's it's it's
1: that's so cool, it's yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah, to see how and as something I was into. You know, kind of comes back to tap me on the shoulder, even though I have a different I have a different relationship with it today.
1: Um, yeah, I'm so glad you explained that because I was gonna be like, what does that mean to you to have them, you know? Because they're pretty influential. Um,
0: bronze, you know, bronze is a, a unique is a unique company that, um, you know, like I know we've been using this term with with context a lot, but you know, they're kind of they have a very interesting um, acuity with, uh, you know, taking things that you wouldn't think, you know, are in the so-called skate realm and 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 making them kind of all work
1: together and play together with each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, and I think, you know, I actually discovered, so I think I discovered you as a feature on a Deaton Chris Anthony song working with Deaton Chris Anthony. And, and, and I discovered him through Tree, his skate video. Um, and I wanted to ask how you guys, you know, what was it like working with him? How did that come together? And I, I I just kind of dawned on me that you're both from this uh, same area, but what, what was, what was that like working together? And, um.
0: Yeah, Deaton. Uh, he we he has such a parallel mind. Um, he's just he's the one to watch for me. You know what I mean? He. Uh, yeah. We, yeah. We both we both kind of were around Kansas City, Missouri. Um, he's not anymore, but we just kind of met through a, a kind of an understanding of like, oh, like you make this music and you're in the area, let's get together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'd get together and, you know, it was kind of like with, with certain interests and, and production techniques, you know, it was kind of like like meeting a clone of yourself, you know, but in, in a certain different ways, you know. Wow. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, so we, um, you know, he had ideas for this album he was working on. and, uh, and That was the first album, it was the BB album, which was... Um, it was just insane you know yeah. the, steps, the steps he was able to to design and work with and unlike me who will work off of a a four-track cassette exclusively um you know he was a maximalist you know he would find ways to you know he would overdub a section in eight places to make sure it sounded correct <laughs> and I, you know i was always in awe of like wow like You know, you do that with ease, like the way I I use tape players, you know, he can just think like that with big designs. Um, So we got together, we just kind of filled up a cassette with some songs and, uh, you know, and we've just kind of kept a relationship. But, you know, he he eventually used some of the recordings we had and and put it on the album, you know. um, Yeah. But yeah, he's, he's that. doing a lot of amazing stuff. Um, and he's, he's just got a, he's got a data bank of just influence that is that I don't know any other current artist that has. And wow. Um, That's so yeah, cool to hear. And his films he made like the symmetry, um, just all the stuff he does is, is really unique and innovative. So, For sure. you know, I kind of find it funny when, when I when I see myself on streaming platforms, and it shows that like I I, I appear on his album, BB, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, it's kind of the weird thing it puts a smile on my face, but uh, absolutely, yeah, that's cool. Really neat um, artist, you
1: know. Hundred percent, yeah. I mean, when I first heard the albums off that EP, like if you want to talk about like eighties R and B, at least to me, like the what the Wi-Fi wifey and right. webcam man, like damn, they're so smooth and like funky and like funny and sweet. You know, it was just it was great. And so it's cool to hear you you talk about them. Um, I wanted to you know. I was gonna ask. I was like, "What do you how you feel about, you know, performing live? Do you perform live?" And I saw that you did for 100% Electronica, and I just thought some of the comments on the video of that performance of yours were were, kind of, were pretty fascinating. And I just wanted to run, just read some of them to you, and just kind of get your first take, you know, your first reaction. Uh, I see. So eight, one, here's one that says 18 carat affair is how I imagine a schizophrenic living in the eighties perceives the world around them. <laughs> and considering, you know, you've got adventures in schizophrenia. Yeah. Does it, does mental health play a theme in your music?
0: Absolutely. The, the, uh, you know, I, I love the theme of, uh, of like traumatic dramatization. <laughs> I think that there's, um, you know i think there's these interesting trauma programs that that kind of create um you know thought forms around things and you so, know adventures and schizophrenia kind of flirted with those concepts but it passions too um visions from the crystal ball and this new new album that's coming out soon you know they they really kind of pull influence and and thought forms from you know kind of those hazy mysterious cult eras and um, there's a type dichotomy to it of, uh, of, you know, just kind of, 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 mystery and tragedy. And,
1: uh, trying to understand like why
0: it's a unique energy to, you know, it's a unique influence to pull from. Um,
1: that's interesting.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's themes. I can understand that comment, you know, yeah. the themes, the song titles. Um, and again, it there is, Naturally, almost a method to that because the songs the songs are just improvised through cassettes and then I'll sort through them and you know sometimes I'll have I'll have you know thirty songs and granted, you know some of those sections only last a minute, but there's there's a natural you know um, unpredictable fluidity to the track listings and the recordings. so I can understand someone feeling that way and, yeah. and see their their comment because you know one song will be kind of a down tempo r&b thing and then the next one will be you know like an alvin and the chipmunks pop cover Um, (laughs) it's
1: all over that's true
0: yeah there's there's so much range that um you know it's not like here's eight songs that all are really in a good suitcase it's there's so much variety that um naturally there's there's a schizophrenic you know there there's a you know there's an element of so many things being um, incorporated at once that that makes sense
1: to me that's cool okay here's another one so you might blush a little he's way hotter than i figured he'd be one of the sexiest voices ever and he's certainly the best vocal artist in the retro wave whatever wave genre i've held this opinion for several years christine is the best female vocalist in the genre i have fantasized about a, a Dennis christine collab for years do you know who who she's talking about there
0: of Christine
1: yeah who's Christ- do you know who the Christine is
0: um, I do not interesting unfortunately
1: yeah okay okay let's see here's another good one when I was in that room I imagine this is what David Bowie what a David Bowie concert felt like back in the day. just pure silksheet airness um, he exudes David Bowie energy I love it and there's that, that's there's two comments on there that say that that you remind them of, of Bowie what I mean that's quite a compliment how do you take that
0: I take that with a smile, you know. <laughs> David Bowie, you know, at one point in time, you know, in the era when you would burn CDRs, you know, David, David Bowie, man. Yeah. Um, I think it's you know I kind of have a deeper baritone voice, um, when you use tape, you can really make your voice sound like anything, you know, with the right techniques. But um, a lot of songs, a lot of the, a lot of the fully realized songs are kind of done with with that vocal tamper you know david bowie uh, scott walker yeah. um jim morrison you know, like, you know artists that had um a, a kind of a deeper uh, approach and, and kind of or just kind of you know you know what i mean it's like when, when you when you learn your voice as an instrument you, the things you can do with it
2: hmm. you know
0: what I mean? yeah. um so you know i appreciate that and, and i can i can understand um I can understand where people would hear like David Bowie and, you know, I tried to bring the theatrics, uh, the theatrics of the, the mindsets. But one challenge I have with, with performing live, aside from the nerves of, of expectation and, you know, wanting to deliver, you know, yeah. is, is when you record in these bad habits like me of, of, you know, sending everything to two-track cassettes and then mastering onto a VHS tape, it becomes difficult to, um, you know, like, people reach out, like, like, I'd love to remix this song, and then they'll say, like, can you send over the stems?
1: Mm. And
0: it's like... Can't I do can, it. Like, it's one shot. It's, like, frozen in time. Like, I can't separate <laughs> the vocals from the music. Like, it's... That's so cool, though. Just.
1: So,
0: yeah. performing live, you know, introduced... Um, a mental hurdle of, like, you know, how can I do this without just doing karaoke, you know? Yeah. And, then, you know, one thing, just an offshoot of that, you know, I find fascinating is is how, uh, you know, that group Milli Vanilli, mm-hmm. girl, you know, it's true. Yeah. But these dudes got crucified.
1: Oh, yeah, when they got caught.
0: Yeah, they got, you know, for for singing over their songs, and today it's a standard. Mm-hmm. Like, if you turn on a show, it's you know it's somebody just playing karaoke over their music that's you know it's weird to see it's kind of that whole spent passions crystal ball mindset stuff Mm -hmm. that happened to them you know one guy took it so hard that he just drifted off into an ocean and (laughs) left the planet (laughs) yet today you know it's it's a standard it's accepted but at one point somebody was you know pulled by their hair for that
1: that's so crazy poor mealy vanilla yeah okay <laughs> you mentioned the new album a little bit Did you Body say? Double yes very cool do we have a, a timeline on that at all
0: um you know I again with my bad habits <laughs> I, I enjoy just stealth releasing nice That's the advice of many friends and many contacts you know because the, the modern approach is is what are you doing like no like you know don't like don't release it all now. Like, you know, do the single. Like yeah. tease it, do the single, you know, and then you know, build it up. And uh, and that works for lots of people. And I have no no qualms with that. But there's something fun about just striking like a thief in the night and uh, <laughs> appearing, you know, with a whole set of songs. You know yeah. what I mean? Very I, I I think that variation, there's beauty in variation, and I feel like a lot of the you know here's our single like here's our video for our upcoming album you know and then teasing it for like it's coming out in four months even though it's all mastered and sitting on a hard drive
1: i know and, i hate um, that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know it, 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 it kind of develops an odor where it's uh, it's like you know it, it's so expected now oh here's the single and yeah. the album's coming out um so it's kind of fun to deny the prophecy. You nice. know, and, I, I know that it's, it's kind of an incorrect way of doing things uh, market-wise, but I, yeah. you know, I do it anyway.
1: Yeah, I, I love the term stealth release. I'm going to remember that. That's a good one. <laughs> um, well, I mean,
0: they're all, they're all planned out, you know, like, uh, like with the dates, you know, um, a lot of stuff I've released is always there on Valentine's Day or Halloween mm. or, or certain dates that have uh, kind of an emotional energy attachment so, you know, I, I always try to, uh, you know, sometimes people can guess and say, like, I, you know, like, my guess is he's going to release this on, you know, some numerological, you know, setting date, <laughs> kind of like I put the, the body double uh, teaser out on, on 222, you know, not to yeah. be uh, kitschy, but, you know, I think that there's certain power in numbers. And it's kind of fun to have people anticipate, but not expect, you know,
1: yeah. Well, I got, I got to ask, how do you feel about Tori Moi? Uh,
0: it was the first album, what was it, uh, Causers of This? Mm-hmm. You know, he was doing a lot of interesting stuff, with, like sidechain compression, filtering. Um, you know, and his, the range, like that album, you know, it's got the new jack. It's mm-hmm. got like, um, it's got new jack elements. It's got so much stuff in it. And it's interesting to see how how the fluidity of that kind of approach or how like Neon Indian came out with an album. How uh, uh, what's his name, um, Ernest? Or what's his name? Washed uh, out. Washed out. Yeah, it's you know these these artists they, they appear almost like they had a parallel mindset, and then they get put in a suitcase. You know, a uh, journalist will be like, "This is chill wave." Yeah. You know, and then it kind of it kind of sets a template design.
1: Well, I I think we talk about artists kind of like the way they move in different directions sometimes. You think of some of the greats like St. Pepsi, um, Esprit. These are people that have transitioned. They've kind of moved into new projects like St. Pepsi kind of moved into Skylar Spence and his synth pop stuff. And it's more pop oriented and Esprit, you know, George Clanton, um, the stuff he started doing. Do you feel you've stayed true to where you've originally started?
0: Like I feel that way mainly because of again the the bad habits I've formed <laughs> in working. Um, yeah, I've tried, you know, I've tried, you know, loading Ableton on a PC and uh, you know and, and and you know learning it and you know, calculating the uh, arrangements and making sure they match the tempos and you know there's just so much formula to it to me to me and my approach yeah that um you know it just kind of sounds static um so yeah. you know in, with that aspect you know going back to so spent passions one i had that fostex machine so 18 karat affair really came about by by things just falling into place um, I bought I, I bought a bunch of old um, fashion teaser catalog videos. Mm-hmm. So in the early '80s, companies—if you think of like Gucci or Ivy Diffusion or Members Only—the way they would sell their products is they would create these these 15 and 20 minute videos of of you know people in exotic settings. You know, it'll mm-hmm. it'll be a guy riding a horse in the desert with an amazing unknown you know eight like 80s instrumental track
1: right mm, lush yeah
0: and you know he's got a members only jacket on and that's how they would sell their product mm-hmm. is these fashion demo teasers um so i bought a cassette of that and i was so influenced by them <laughs> that you know i i would i would try to emulate and mimic the sounds and the a sound quality and you know, how you overdrive t- tape so it sounds like it came out 20 years ago. Um, and That's once crazy. those things all fell into place and once there was, uh, you know, like 6040 was really the first um, 18-carat affair, you know, ideology. of, of I'm going to take that approach. I'm going to take a technique of blurring years of music and I'm going to match it with an imprint of fashion i'm going to match it with an imprint of a style or a mindset
1: um you know that's when i
0: broke out of the whole pineapple symphony uh, yeah. <laughs> and cool. i just ran with that you know and and when you when you find something that um when you find an influence um you know i just stuck with that and a lot of those 2011 albums a lot of the core albums people talk about you know vintage romance high emotion 64 gorgeous fantasy you know, that kind of all came from, uh, you know, from taking that kind of influence and in doing that. Mm-hmm. And so after that, and, you know, yeah, trying the Ableton thing, at the end of the day, I just go back to um, using a two-track cassette machine. Okay, I took that technique from um, Lamont Young, right? Mm-hmm. Who, well, there's a chain of, of custody, right? So um, have you, like, you know who Robert Fripp is? He's a guitarist. Mm-hmm. He was in Crimson. He's produced a lot of albums. Robert Fripp, Brian Eno, took a technique from Terry Riley, uh-huh. who took a technique from Lamont Young, right? Uh-huh. So, a chain of custody. And what the technique is, is is you take two cassette machines or, or, or two track um, tape machines, right? Uh-huh. And you pretty much create a long time lag accumulation. Uh-huh. So... That was a pretty sweet sound. All the, um, all the songs, you know, with 18 Karat Affair are these predestined loops. So it'll be a tape loop that lasts a minute and 28 seconds, right? Mm-hmm. And you fill it up, and, and you can't make a mistake. You can, you know, but you, you, you let's say you play a sound on a piano, right? Um, after, depending on how far the tape is, you'll hear that sound. So you'll play a sound, and then 18 seconds later, the sound comes back. Right? So it's like a long-form delay. Mm. but because you're using tape, every time it repasses the machine, the sound kind of turns into a ghost and gets gets eaten up by the tape process. So every album, I, every song uses that method of, of time log accumulation of recording in a predestined loop setting. Mm. And sometimes people say, well, "Well like, what the hell is this? Like why are your songs on like one minute and 10 seconds?" Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is due to, Creating a natural tape loop, you know, yeah. um, and, and you know, of course, you could use like a loop pedal, or you could use a long delay, but it's not the same. If if you use time lag accumulation, you know, um, there's just a certain way the sound decays that that has a haunting quality, and then when <laughs> you re, when you re-record over what you did previously, all those ghosts are still there, just eating the sound up. So. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So Maybe. the reason I find myself staying true is because I use these techniques. And even though people say like, this sounds like crap, um, you know, or like, <laughs> why, like, why is this uh, one minute long? It should be four minutes. Yeah. Um, I stay true in how I record and how I approach things. Um, and I think that's, that 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 leaves an insignia on how the music sounds.
1: Well, we're, I'm glad you do. I know like everyone who's able to check this out is going to be like glad that you you've found that, that process that you love and, and stick to it. And we I mean I'm excited about body double. So.
0: body double will be the um, will be kind of the final foray into the the uncomfortable, disjointed you know, kind of world of tragedy and, uh, huh. and cults, you know, and untimely demises, untimely demises, untimely demises...